Good evening. My God, we're starting on time. The world has stopped in its very tracks to marvel at the within Pluto's orbit of professionalism known as Free Domain Radio. Welcome, one and all, to the very second annual divided by 52 Wednesday evening philosophy chat. This is my oasis in the desert of trekking from Sunday to Sunday to speak to you wonderfully kind, generous, brilliant, and dare I say cut listeners. So I hope you're doing well. Thanks, Mike, of course, for taking time off from his missionary work to join us. Do you know, Mike, I I must tell you, the UPB caller from last week, uh, I saw a post on Facebook where he's complaining that uh, we are basically censoring opinions critical of UPB. So, Mike, I just, I, I need to know, why? Why are you censoring the poor listeners who call in and give us the very sweat of their intellectual brow? Is UPB such a shaky foundation that it can't even take any robust criticism? Must we cull the intellectual herd so precisely? It's either that or it's horrible technical issues and horrible audio on the, the caller's end, but yeah, we can go with the first Yeah, you one. had a weird hum, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, sounded like Amazing Grace sung by a screaming llama. Uh, anyway, so I said we'll send him the file if he wants, if he can fix it up. We're certainly happy to release it. But, you know, it, also, it bothers me how people jump towards conspiracy theories, you know? I mean, be, be an adult, uh, send an email and say, hey, how come I didn't hear, you know, my conversation in, in the podcast? As about, he cut it because, because he can't stand, you see. He, he just can't stand the... Um, the criticism of his theory. And it just, I don't know. And, and for those of you who are watching, I uh, guess, this later, uh, this, this stuff I'm drinking, uh, don't worry. It's not any kind of soda, you <laughs> nagging Nancys. I don't normally drink soda. It just, when I was going through chemo, basically it, it, it sort of tasted in my mouth like Satan had taken a deep chemical shit on my palate. And so uh, soda helped a little bit. Uh, unfortunately for my <laughs> muffin top, chips and dip helped a little bit. Uh, this is, it's okay. It's just absinthe mixed with the blood of statists. So uh, I think we're okay. Uh, and I think also Jeff was, uh, Jeffrey Tucker was going to reinvigorate our, our Sunday show with a co-guest host. I think you'd mentioned that. Yep. We're, uh, we're working out a date right now, but that'll be coming up in the near future. A date with Jeffrey Tucker. I feel like I've won the freedom. I've, I've won the libertarian lottery. <laughs> so, uh, all right. Well, enough. Ramble tangents. Uh, let's um, let's get on with the callers. Right. Hopefully, there are no robust criticisms we must censor. Uh, those technical problems will crop up again. All right, Danny. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hit the hum button. It's a good <laughs> criticism. <laughs> I don't know. Just email people. Ask them what happened. Or jump immediately to this. Anyway. Okay. Go ahead. All right. Uh, how's it going, Stefan? It is going swimmingly. Thank you. Oh, I'm so. So excited to be here. I just recently actually got onto these videos on uh, YouTube and I converted probably like less than a year ago to libertarianism. I was stuck in the whole mainstream media idea with Bill Maher and, and, and being a liberal. Hello? Yes. Uh, sorry, you just stopped there. I wasn't, and being a liberal sounded like in the middle of a sentence, so I thought maybe you had oh, more. No, no, I was like, I, I was caught up in, in that whole idea of, you know, uh, you know, Obamacare being for it, it's going to help everybody, sure. everything. So, you know, I, the questions that I just wanted to ask today, um, there's one that, that I've been researching a lot about, and it's about the Rothschilds. Um, and is their involvement actually 
you know, really involved in central banking. Is that actually true? Because like all the research that I've done, you know, like from Woodrow Wilson, who set it up in 19 and in the 19, I believe it was 1913, who he passed the law for the Federal Reserve Act. Um, and he basically talking about he's talking about, um, you know, that he after he signed it, like a couple years later, that he, he was guilty that he gave it up to that he gave up our economy to the international bankers. Is there any um, evidence that these people are associated with central banking or is this just like all conspiracy? Well, I, I, I don't think it's a conspiracy theory to believe that rich people act collectively in their own self-interest. I, I, I sort of feel like, you know, we're a bunch of gazelles and, you know, I think those lions might be working together. Uh, <laughs> of course they're working together. That's the best way to catch your gazelles. Look, I haven't, uh, I don't, look much into things like the Bilderberg stuff and the Council on Foreign Relations and the Rothschilds and the van der Clitorises or whatever the hell they're called. Uh, I just, it doesn't matter because to me, it's natural. I mean, it's like saying, you know, there was this uh, lieutenant of Genghis Khan's who may or may not have done something really terrible. Well, I'm sure he did do something really terrible, Uh, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, It doesn't really matter fundamentally uh, to oppose all this nonsense is not to reveal all the people who benefit from statism, but simply to point out that statism is uh, is immoral. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that they may have secret, you know, masturbating cabals where they molest satyrs and nymphs. I don't know. I mean, uh, I think Richard Nixon said about, said about uh, the Bilderberg group, that's, it's pretty gay. <laughs> so, I don't know. Maybe they may have this stuff. They, I, it, to me, it doesn't, it doesn't fundamentally matter. You know, it's, it's sort of like, is there price fixing among the slave-driving classes? Well, I don't care. I, I do care that slavery is immoral and should be abolished. I do care that the state is immoral and we have to outgrow it. Who's currently profiting? I mean, Woodrow Wilson didn't sell the economy to international bankers. Woodrow Wilson realized that he could fund uh, a war without raising taxes, but the only way you can do that is to have a central bank. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, so, so he wanted to get into – I mean, after, of course, campaigning on the promise to stay out of World War I, what did he do? Immediately launched America into World War I, joining, as the Americans do, rather late and then claiming to have won the whole thing. But – uh, you, you rouse up the bloodlust of the people, and then how do you uh, keep that going? Well, you keep that going by not sending them any bills for their bloodlust. You know, I, I pointed out in this video on circumcision, uh, when, when the government stops funding circumcision, rates drop enormously. Because, you know, people suddenly find principles and sympathy for their children's naughty bits, or their boys' naughty bits, uh, when they have to pay a couple of hundred bucks and then I guess you end up with a few less uh, circumcision rings, which are then made into um, facial cosmetics for, for women. I guess that's the kind of facial that nobody likes. But, um, uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, there are all these bad guys, and, and, and the government has realized that by getting into debt, it can bribe the economically illiterate population in the here and now and can defer all the costs until they're long out of office and, and probably long dead. So, and, and of course, be be hailed as miracle workers because they were able to raise people's standards of living without uh, raising taxes uh, and or, or, you know, wage war without raising taxes, which allows people to remain numb to the financial consequences uh, of those wars. So, yeah, I mean, I, I could research it, but I mean, I'm sure it's, it's happening. I'm sure it's real. And, I, and there's no way to oppose it without getting rid of the state. So to me, the, the, the details don't really matter, you know. 
Yeah, because, like, uh, for example, like, you know, you have one of the Rothschilds, like, back in the 1700s that says that, let me control a nation's money, and, you know, I have control, and I care not who makes its laws. I'm paraphrasing it, obviously, but uh, it's somewhere similar to that. And, you know, it, it kind of like, you know, when you have things like that and then you have Lincoln, you know, he says at one point he has two enemies. One of them is, you know, the South and the other one is a financial is the financial institution, which it, it's kind of, you know, you I guess in some way I've, I've been looking at it and I've, I guess sometimes somehow you could see it connecting in some way. Yeah, but I mean, without the state, none of this stuff happens. I mean, you don't have to worry about cabals and monopolies and selling off the unborn and national debts and inflation. You just don't have to worry about that. Strike at the root of evil rather than trim the leaves and uh, obsessively cataloging the leaves when all you'd have to do is is cut at the root. Uh, I just prefer to go the more efficient route. Uh, And so, yeah, without the violent monopoly of the state, none of this stuff happens. Uh, So, you know, if we want light in the world, we cut down that which is blocking the light we don't sort of shine little flashlights around here and there you just you just bring down whatever's blocking the light and that that is the state and so um yeah i i I don't particularly get drawn into this um it's hard to say conspiracy stuff because you know conspiracy theory is just a way of of um uh not having to do research so i don't say it's not true i don't say it is true uh, but i do say that it's immaterial as to what it is that we have to do which is to teach people to treat their children well, teach people about the evils of the state. And uh, whether the Rothschilds or, you know, the McSkullduggeries control it, uh, it doesn't really matter. The point is we just shouldn't have this this kind of control no matter what. Definitely. Well, there's another question that I wanted to ask, and it's uh, when I bring people up to the idea of libertarianism, they usually agree with everything about it, but they're reluctant to call themselves libertarians for some reason. And I well, why were you? Well, I guess you made the transition you said said pretty easily, right? Yeah, because it just made sense to me. Morally, it just made sense. Everything that, you know, su- you know, that minimum wage, you raise it, it, it doesn't help the poor. It actually, it's worse for, for the low-skilled workers. That made sense to me. Well, and, uh, sorry, to be precise, it does help a few of the poor, and it does help some of the low-skilled workers because they get more money. Yes, right? yes, it's just that the, the people who don't get jobs, the people who get fired, the people who skill, exactly. who get stuck in welfare because they can't make the leap to minimum wage. Uh, to be precise, it always benefits some people. Otherwise, it would never happen. But it just happens to harm the majority. Sorry to just be annoyingly. No, eh, no, no, no. it's it's not uh, Stefan, man. I've I'm I'm only like 25, so I mean I'm trying to learn as much as possible uh, during this time of my life. So I mean anything that you could just tell me that's informative, I I take in with with I'm happily I happily take it in. But I just, I'm just, conf- I just don't understand why people don't, you know. When I explain it to them, they just, they're just reluctant against it. They're just, they like the idea, but they're, they're not, you know, able to call themselves libertarian. Well, why make make for them? Like, let's pretend I'm one of these people. Tell me the cost benefit. Let's say I don't have any principles. I mean, I don't think people really have any principles. I think they're just surfing the whim of the moment. You know, like, of course, Matt Damon's going to praise public schools. Whoever gets in trouble for praising public schools. And of course, he's going to put his kids in private schools because he knows what public schools are like. It's not, he's not dumb. He's just that's what people do is they surf whatever gives them the most benefit in the moment. And then they call it uh, a principle after the fact. So forget. Let's pretend I have no principles whatsoever. Um, make for me the case why I should call myself a libertarian just based on, like, a cost-benefit thing. 
Well, because um, I would say that, you know, both Democrat and Republicans are both authoritarians. Uh, they both believe in a certain way of life that people should live. No, you're appealing to principles, oh. right? Because you're saying I should be more for freedom and this, that, and the other, right? Yeah. But that's your – do it to – because remember, people don't have principles. I mean, I'm sorry, but it's true. I've spent 30 years bringing principles to people's attention, and mostly they, they shy away like I'm waving a random phaser laser um, – <laughs> turret at them uh and so without appealing to principles oh wow then i i, I would have uh i would i would actually advise you to give me advice on that than how to tell people more likely uh to be to be more inclined to become libertarians to spread it well i mean i i, I don't i don't have an answer from a cost benefit standpoint what what does it gain you to be a libertarian I, I don't know. I just think that, you know, the freedom of, uh, of people is like the most important thing ever. I don't know. Just well, yeah, the, but you, 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 I mean, you become a libertarian. That doesn't change that, right? I mean, you being a libertarian hasn't added one bit to the political freedoms of the world. I'm not saying that it's unimportant to be a libertarian, but it hasn't changed oh, yeah, anything true. to do with political liberties in the world, right? It certainly has made you w- more aware of your enslavement. Right. Yes, yes. I mean, if, if you don't get the taxation as theft, then you can believe it's some sort of social contract that, you know, the state is buying you flowers before it bends you over the <laughs> greasy spoons of the IRS. Right. But, but give me a practical reason as to why somebody should uh, embrace philosophy. I mean, it, it alienates other people. It means you're going to get mocked. You're going to get misunderstood. You're going to get scorned. People are going to roll their eyes. People are going to call you crazy. Uh, people are going to be hostile. I mean, tell, tell me why should somebody adopt libertarianism as a political philosophy? Yeah, well, I mean, well, you got me there, man. <laughs> you got me there, Stefan. I, 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 I would actually advise you if you could tell me. I don't know. Well, I, I wouldn't advise anybody uh, from a cost-benefit standpoint to take on libertarianism merely as a political philosophy um, because it, it, it's not going to, it's not going to change yeah. their environment. It, what it does is it, it's like somebody who's slowly having their legs crushed. You should at least let them have their morphine, right? <laughs> if you can't get them out of whatever horrible machine is crushing their legs, don't take away their drug that numbs the pain. Yeah. So. So, so uh, uh, Republicanism, uh, uh, being a Republican, being a libert- uh, sorry, being a Democrat, being a, a Green, or or being sort of the Bill Maher liberal camp, or whatever, or even the sort of Ann Coulter conservative camp, that gives you the illusion that something you're going to do is going to stop the machine from chewing up your legs, and and so it gives you a sense that you can get out, and it helps you to numb the pain. Now, uh, libertarianism is just another way of doing that. Well, we can do something to change the political reality. We can get people voted in. We can. Uh, elect uh, X, Y, and Z. We can enlighten people about the political process and the virtues and values of libertarianism and free market economics and blah, 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 right? It's just another way of, of numbing the pain of, of being fed into the wood chipper um, slowly and, and, and bloodily. Uh, so from a political standpoint, I would never make that case, uh, and I never have. But what I would say to people is forget libertarianism as a political philosophy. That, that, that's interesting, for sure, and it's you know it's a good little crossword puzzle for your brain to read up on Austrian economics, and it's great to know more about the world than less. I think all oh, that's fine. Forget about libertarianism as a political philosophy. The only thing that matters about libertarianism is the non-aggression principle. The non-aggression principle. Because you can't change a goddamn thing about the world through 
libertarian politics and economics. In fact, you, you make the world worse because everything you're doing that doesn't work oh, is all God. the things you're doing that could work, right? <laughs> sorry, right? Think of the, sorry, the hundreds of that. hundreds, yeah, literally hundreds of billions of dollars have been yeah. shat down the useless, bottomless fucking void of political activism. Billions of, of labor hours, hundreds of millions of dollars, hopes, dreams, dedication, rallies, flags, bumper stickers, staying up all night, websites, all people, they keep throwing themselves into this endless bottomless furnace, burning themselves up with no change. In fact, the government has only grown, what, five times bigger since libertarianism was started? Great plan, everybody, wonderfully done. Uh, our goal is to shrink the state. Oh, shoot, it's five times bigger. Well, we couldn't lift the five-pound weight. Maybe we can lift the 50-pound weight. It's madness, right? So I say, forget all of that. It doesn't matter. It's interesting. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is the non-aggression principle. Now, that shit you can do something about. That stuff you can do something about. Wow. Um, no, thank you for... And, and you, can, you can not circumcise your children. That's, you know, that's something you can do. You cannot aggress against your children. You cannot hit your children. You cannot abandon your children to, to daycare and to, to, to nannies and to government schools. You can do something to change your environment. You can reject people who support the use of violence against you. You can avoid and ostracize people who are in the matrix, who would chant with joy, should you be dragged off to conscience for, sorry, should you be dragged off to prison for following your peaceful conscience? They would cheer and line the streets in approval. And so backing away from the general Nazism of the everyday statist is something you can do. You can build a community of like-minded, peaceful-minded individuals who are not going to aggress against you, who are going to support your choices to, to reject the aggression principle. Uh, you can have the integrity of living as much as possible the non-aggression principle uh, in the realm of your personal lives. And then, and then you get the greatest treasure of all, which is you cannot have love with an addiction to violence. You cannot have love if you are addicted to violence. And if you don't even know that you're addicted to violence, you get even less love. All you get is um, empty tolerance of your own immorality. Uh, you get the, the shipwrecked clinging proximity of people desperate to maintain the delusions that they are all infected by and repeatedly infect, infect others with. But you can have integrity, you can have love, you can have virtue, you can have peace, you can have respect, you can have joy in your life if you forget about the politics and simply look at the non-aggression principle and see how far you can spread it in the world in which you actually live, which is not uh, a legislative body, it's not a Congress, it's not a Senate, it's not a voting booth, it's none of that shit. Where you actually live is your house, your home, your neighborhood, your children's lives, your wife's life, your husband's lives, your friend's lives. And there, the non-aggression principle is like a skyrocket of beautiful joy, connection, closeness, virtue, and a lack of fear for the future, and a lack of fear for the direction that the whole West is currently hurtling its downward path towards. Uh, and you can live a life of freedom, peace, and virtue by living the principles in your life. But if you get dragged off the abyss of politics, then uh, it becomes a complete loss for you, uh, for virtue, for the future, and for the children who will follow us. So, I mean, that would be my case. Uh, and that, that's a cost-benefit and a moral case, but you just can't make the cost-benefit case with politics because that shit doesn't work. Yeah, 
no, definitely, definitely. Thank you so much. But uh, also, one, I guess, one question, another question is, um, uh, it's a regards of, I guess, tyranny, because you know, you hear so much, you know, of all the things that are going on, you know, such as NDAA and all these things that are going on in politics, and the NSA spying on pretty much every single American um, out there. Um, is you know, when tyranny happens, and let's say a revolution, let's say a revolution does happen. Uh, how is it? How do we prevent you know someone that's, for example, because my father actually came from Cuba and he fled uh, the Castro regime. Um, how do you prevent some a dictator from coming in after a revolution has been has already started has already uh, ended? Well, I don't know. How it's, can you? That's exactly what I, what I want to know. If, if like if let's say the change were to happen, how do how would we stop let's say someone just as bad or just as evil to take over wait wait so do you mean after after we achieve some kind of freedom yes like after yeah basically because in cuba what happened was the revolution um you know castro ended up uh taking out batista which is the 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 uh the president at the time and you know he's you know he preached on change and all this stuff and then everyone you know pretty much got on his side and they ended up defeating uh batista and you know, it's like, uh, and they had it worse. They had it yes. worse than they did. Under they got, and they got yeah. it even worse. That's exactly what I'm saying. It's how is it possible yep. to, to basically, let's say, if we do get a radical, you know, revolution or something, how do we make sure that we get the right person there and not have the wrong person? Well, because you're asking basically, how can people recognize evil? Exactly. That, that's that's the basic question you're asking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we're born with the capacity and the ability to recognize evil. Yeah, because the thing is, like, let's say when Obama came in in 2008, everyone thought that this guy was going to make the complete, you know, change. <laughs> Not everyone. But yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> sorry. At least Look, I, I, let me tell you, tell you something. I was, I was playing a game of Candyland with my daughter tonight. It's a game with, with cards. And I said, you know, when I was a little boy, I said, a standard deck of cards, she's got one. It's got 52 cards. When I was a little boy... A kid came up to me, a a boy came up to me and said, hey, Steph, do you want to play 52-card pickup? And I said, sure, that sounds like fun. And he grabbed my cards and he threw them in the air and he walked away and said, now you have to pick up those 52 cards. Do you know what my daughter said? She said, that's mean. (laughs) Right? I haven't explained to her. I didn't explain to her that that was mean. She just knew that was mean of the boy. Yeah. I mean, we are... um, we're born with the capacity to, with the innate, not, not even capacity, with the innate drive to extend similarities and note exceptions. Right? So, so in the men's rights movement, there is an argument called NAWALT, which is an acronym for, well, not all women are like that. Not all women are like that. It's got its own acronym. It's so common. NAWALT. And this is what idiots do. We say, well, Chinese people in general are shorter than Caucasians. Well, I know a tall Chinese guy. And it's like, oh, God, (laughs) I need a helmet on to prevent my head from exploding as the rockets of your idiocy go up my nose. And so we all understand patterns and we understand exceptions. And if children live virtue... Uh, uh, peace, non-aggression, curiosity, friendliness, um, uh, assertiveness, whatever, you know, all, all the things that are, are virtue, courage, then that's what they'll see. Then they'll, they'll understand that and they will immediately note 
exceptions. You know, our brains are hardwired to look for exceptions to rules because that's how we stay alive. Hey, look, there's a whole bunch of grass there. There's an exception called a tiger. Well, are we kind of interested in the exception? Of course we are. I mean, that's what keeps us alive. Um, and when we're hunting, there's a whole bunch of trees. There's one exception called a deer. Well, maybe we'll want to go hunt that or, you know, for the vegetarians, a, a fast-moving uh, mushroom or something, right? And so we are hardwired and environmentally driven to extend similarities, which is called conceptualization or philosophy or uh, concept development, and to immediately note and see very visibly exceptions, right? You can eat all those berries except for the purple ones. Okay, we go eat all the berries, we stay away from the purple ones, right? So the rule and the exceptions, that's all we're about. The rules are the exceptions. And if children are generally raised with the rule of virtue, they will immediately note exceptions to it. And they will see evil like a burning man is coming up to introduce himself to you. And you're, and, and, and you're like, shit, that guy's on fire. Shouldn't we do something? Are you hot? Are you, is there something I can help you with, Mr. Lucifer? So... It's very easy to have children identify evil. You just raise them with virtue. My daughter, you know, we're flipping through the TV stations and up comes Telemundo. <laughs> they get some, you know, the, the usual, you know, shrieky, face-slapping, big-titted Spanish soap opera or whatever. <laughs> and she's like, I don't, I don't know what they're saying. <laughs> I don't speak that language. She never says that about English, even if we're watching something quite complicated, because she knows some of the words. She immediately knows a language she doesn't speak. Immediately. And so if we teach and, and, and embody virtue, consistency, uh, peace, voluntarism, courage, all the good stuff, children will immediately see some facial-haired sociopath who comes up chanting about the common good and immediately recognize him for the predator that he is, and nobody will ever have a chance of getting into power when children are raised peacefully. Who's evil? Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, those are uh, pretty much all the questions. You know, I, I listen to your show all the time, you know, for the past, you know, since I've been, you know, just for like the past year, because I've been learning more and more. And, you know, your show has helped me so much. Well, I appreciate that. I'm going to be annoyingly nitpicking and say you may listen to my show all the time, but I hope you're not listening to it while you're on the show. Or I guess you are listening to the show because you're <laughs> on the show. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Great questions. Please feel free to call back in anytime. And congratulations. Uh, 25 is, is a great age. You know, I'm glad we slipped in. About 25 is the age when the human brain locks down, reaches its final sort of level of physical maturity. So I'm glad that we, you know, slipped a few shekels under the door before that sealed up. So good for you. Thank you so much, Stephen. Thank you. All right. Chris, you're next. Hello. Uh, I'm Chris. Uh, hi, Stefan Basil Molyneux. How are you? Oh, look at that. He's making a power play. I only know his first name, and he's given me all the syllables of mine. Go ahead. I feel your dominating hand up on my leg. Continue. No, no, no. Just kidding. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but seriously, uh how are you? Like, for, before we get into my question. Oh, how am I? I am all right. I am, I have 17 radiation treatments. I've done eight. So I'm just over half done. I uh, am experiencing a little bit of throat tenderness. Uh, it's basically like a sunburn on the back of your throat, which means slightly less shrieking. Um, like, you know, I'm like 
Pinkie Pie on helium sometimes. So, uh, but I, I feel good. I am glad to have it almost all behind me, and I sure as hell prefer radiation to chemo because uh, I can live with a sore throat. But that, that other stuff was was kind of rough. So I appreciate you asking. I am optimistic. I am uh, planning for my old age, and uh, I, I feel uh, I feel good to to have this stuff mostly mostly in the past, just a little bit more. Well, I I know that cancer is a big deal in your your life right now, but in a more general sense, how are you? Because like, I, I, in, I to... in a more general sense, from a near death experience, yeah. <laughs> I'm speaking in in Toronto at, at U of T uh, October 26th, and it's my back from the dead speech because you know I had to skip all my for treatments. I've had to skip all my summer speaking. So, you mean outside of cancer? How am I? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I guess uh, uh, that's sort of like what they said. Uh, there's an old joke about about uh, Lincoln's wife. Uh, you know, he he was shot in a theater, right? Uh, and uh, somebody's saying, "Well, well, well." Other than that, how did you enjoy the play, Mrs. Lincoln? Um, <laughs> it's sort of important. But uh, so, in in what way do you mean? Uh, how how am I? Uh, well, uh, I guess I'm just kind of practicing a little bit of empathy because. Uh, no, it's good. I appreciate that. I mean, not not a lot of people ask me how I'm doing. I don't. Um, I, di- I didn't use to be very sorry, appreciate empathetic. That. But I suppose it's a very open-ended question, and you're, I guess, free to answer it however you choose. Yes. Well, unless you have something more specific that you want to ask me, like, uh, how's my arm? Or uh, how's my <laughs> no. nutsack? Currently a little squished under my ass, so let me just shift a little here. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Uh, well, I guess in that case, uh, moving on to the reason that I'm calling... Uh, I have a bit of a mental block, and I was hoping to get some counsel from you, and I suppose I should give some context. Uh, I'm a business owner, a recent graduate. Uh, I started a biotech company, which is kind of scary, and... Yeah, they have, a, they have a pretty high failure rate. I mean, they have a failure rate that's so high that it makes the majority of my videos look successful. So <laughs> very brave yeah. of you. Good job. Yeah. Uh, well, so th- this, that's kind of a scary thing. No, that is a scary thing. Uh, and, 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 you know, with uh, fear, you get this fight, flight, or freeze response. And... Uh, I've definitely gotten a freeze response, and it's difficult for me to see the forest through the trees, if that makes sense. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I may be too nervous to, to really uh, understand it, like, why I'm paralyzed, uh, why I'm not able to uh, get work done. Right. And uh, Right. No, I, I, I get it. I mean, and I, for those of who've, who've not been entrepreneured, who've not been entrepreneurs, uh, it is, uh, it is, it is literally heart-stoppingly terrifying at times. Not always, but, but, you know, you have these euphoric moments and so on. Um, one of the great pieces of advice I got from a friend once was that I take work too seriously. <laughs> I thought, hey, I'll become an internet philosopher and try and change the world. Cause that's relaxing quite a bit. But, um, in the business world, uh, it is, uh, it is it is terrifying, um, but I don't want to. So I mean, I get it, that's the kind of fear you're talking about. That things might not work. That things might might crash out. That that what terrible things might occur. Is that what you mean? Yeah, I, I think it 
it probably goes a little deeper than that in some regards. Uh, but the, yeah, that is, that is a pretty big fear. I know I probably won't starve to death or anything if it fails because I'm a fairly resourceful fellow and I can, you know, bounce back. But like I've got that kind of a, as a horror uh, or like scary movie scenario in the back of my head, like, I go bankrupt, I become destitute, I live on the streets, I die poor, sure. and starving or something. Right. Uh, right. No, and I, as I've mentioned before, like I remember signing, we couldn't get loans after a while. I mean, sorry, we couldn't get investment after a while. We just needed loans to cover payroll. To sign these big doc- documents that if if the company failed, I would be personally liable for what were at the time, and I guess even now, like pretty monstrous sums of money that would have taken me years to pay off. So it's it's scary stuff. Um, you can't pay that stuff back. I mean, bad things can happen to your life. So it's not irrational. Uh, I sort of get get what you're feeling, and I've often envied sociopaths, you know, because because they you know they make pretty good entrepreneurs in the short run because they don't feel any fear. Problem is they lack empathy, so they can't sustain a business in the long run. That's sort of the end run thing, right? They get greedy and they forget about the customers and chase the money and, and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's uh, it would be nice to have a fear switch. I'd like to have a fear switch. I'd like to have a sleep switch. I get to switch a, and go to sleep. But um, uh, so is this? Is it, are we in the right realm? I want to make sure that that I'm not sort of projecting my experiences onto you. Is this sort of the right realm? Uh, I'd say that's the right realm. Uh, yeah, there was something that I was going to say, but then I forgot. Uh, okay, well, so. <laughs> what, let, let me tell you what, I mean, I, I, before I tell you what sort of helped me, which may, may or may not help you, uh, what, is, what does failure mean? I mean, there are practical consequences to failure. don't have a job, you might be in debt, uh, it's difficult and complex to unwind uh, a business and all that. Uh, and there's disappointment, right? I mean, you, you, you want to succeed. I mean, you want to make money, you want to help people, all this kind of stuff, right? Right. So what does, what does failure mean to you sort of fundamentally uh, if you fail what 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 does that mean so in in thinking of an answer for that i remembered what it was that i was going to say which was that it is irrational also to be so afraid that i'm paralyzed because if i don't do anything i'm dead in the water no, if wait, I, wait, 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 wait. no 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 don't 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 call yourself irrational I'm sorry to interrupt. I don't know how long you've been listening to the show. Uh, don't call your feelings irrational. Uh, that is a judgment, and you don't know that it's true. Well, okay, then I might correct that and say that it's not advantageous. Okay, maybe it is advantageous, but it doesn't seem very advantageous to me to not do anything. That, that All right, sounds- so... Yeah, you, what you could say is that my fear response was appropriate in the past, but maybe inappropriate now. Right. And I haven't done the work to uncouple the past from the present. Right, yeah. That, yes. I, I hate to be annoying, but the moment you say it's irrational, you've, already, you've automatically said it's wrong, uh, it's bad, it needs to be expunged, and it doesn't need to be explored. You know, if you see some crazy guy on the street corner, you know, attempting to bring the pigeons to Krishna... You don't have a debate with him, right? Because he's crazy. He's irrational. 
So you can't be curious, you can't help him, you can't engage with him because he's just irrational. Irrational is one of these really explosive words that you rarely will lob outside of yourself and never, ever lob it inside, if that makes any sense. Rarely lob it inside. I mean, into yourself. It's rare. I don't know if I've ever said, well, someone's just irrational. I may say that's an irrational argument or irrational perspective. But to say someone is irrational, I mean, they have to be seriously, seriously crazy, right? I mean, like wearing a, a duck on their head and, and two rubber boots on their arms kind of, kind of crazy, right? Right. And so it's rare that you'll use irrational to, to, as a descriptor for someone else. But I would never put it internal, like say, this part of me is irrational. Because hmm. how do you know? It may be perfectly rational. Like somebody's been in a car accident who's afraid of cars. That's not irrational. Ironic that you said that, but yeah. Why is it ironic? Uh, I had a, a, a bad experience, let's say. But that's a uh, call in oh, for in another time, perhaps. Jeez, I was, in a, I was in a car crash where the car flipped and went about... 150 yards on its roof so yeah i i definitely know cars can be can be a little scary um okay so so my question is to to cut to the, the heart of the matter um when you were a child what was your relationship to failure because childhood is an enormous steaming pile of fail right because you know you can't do anything i was going to say you can't do shit but you can shit <laughs> you come out of the womb with that ability first it's green and then it hits the wall um but childhood is almost all failure. You don't know how to read. You don't know how to walk. You don't know how to roll over. You don't know how to usually sleep by yourself and, and all that. So what was your relationship as a child in your familiar environment, in your familiar environment to failure? Uh, well, it Going back to how it it goes kind of deeper, I would say um, my my mother nagged and yelled and uh, she was more the disciplinarian. Uh, There was spanking and and other things as well. But uh, my father, he was a little bit more patient. And uh, so the business is actually it. uh, I, I won't like name myself or, or the business, but, uh, it, it is a, a nod to, to my father in, in some regards. Uh, mm-hmm. so. I, so I what, what do you mean when you say she was a disciplinarian? <laughs> uh, very loud. Uh, she was the one that I, I guess really wanted a very clean house and uh, it didn't matter how it got done. Okay, so she was very loud. Does that mean she screamed uh, or yelled or yeah, raised yelling, her voice? Yeah, screaming. Uh, it, Name she calling? Also, uh, no, I, I don't remember any name calling except for the, the full full name, like Mr. Yeah, and then... Uh, a, oh, like you started with me, right? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, God, I'm so sorry. That, that was not what I no, meant. No, that's fine. That's why I, I recognized it as a power play. I mean, like, uh, like you, you know, on the internet, when somebody doesn't use your first name, they're just about to become a complete asshole. 
Uh, well, Molyneux's arguments are, you know, anyway, it's just, you know, in boarding school when I was six, I was referred to as Mr. Molyneux, and you know nothing good comes after that. Anyway. Well, um, to to yeah, me, it was uh, a, a show of respect. I, I I do have quite a bit of respect for you, so. Okay, then. no, I, I just pointed, I just wanted to point that out. Okay, so when she says, uh, when you say she spanked you, um, open hand, buttocks, face, implements, how often? What, belt. How did it occur? And belt. Yeah, belt. Whenever I was a problem, and that was pretty often. So how often were you hit with the belt? I. I I really don't know. Like, and it was fairly. Well, I'm not asking for like time codes. I mean, just roughly. I mean, once a year, once a month, once a week. Uh, maybe once a month, I I suppose, but it. It, again, was variable. Was it against bare skin? Uh, sometimes, I think, uh, yeah. Was it against your buttocks or your hand or your back or what? Uh, buttocks. So she would actually pull down your trousers, your pants, your underwear, and would she, like, put you across her knee and then hit you hard with the belt? Yeah, but uh, it wasn't that often. The, the don't the, don't 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 even try. No, no, don't, it, don't you dare bring this up and then start to minimize it. No, Come no. on. S- some sometimes it was over the clothes. Uh, so yeah, no, no, I got it. I'm talking about sometimes she would do this. Did she hit you with the buckle end or the tail end? Uh, mostly the tail end. But sometimes the buckle end. I can't really recall. Uh, I, I, I don't think so. And did it leave marks? I have stretch marks on my back, but I don't think they're related to that. I No, no, no. I mean, when she hit you, did it leave like a red welt? Of course. I mean, it's that's right. spanking. Well, that's not spanking. That's beating. Spanking is open-handed on the buttocks. Uh, that's beating. I don't know where you live, but I can tell you this. Uh, here in Canada, uh, she, she would go to jail for that. that that's criminal behavior. You are, it is absolutely illegal to hit a child with an implement. Now, in Canada, you can hit a child uh, from the knee up or something and the neck down. You can't hit the face, uh, but, but you cannot use an implement. And um, again, I don't know what the laws are where you are, but... Um, that that's this criminal behavior. I mean, that, that's that's illegal. I don't think it's illegal where I'm from, and I <laughs> I suppose her rationale might be that she is a fairly slight woman and uh, requires some kind of implement. Uh, that, of that course, might... that's a justification for beating your children with a belt. Yeah, of course, there are justifications for it. And if you're small, absolutely, yeah, for sure. I mean, then you, if you really want to inflict mind-bending pain and humiliation on your children, then yes, a belt is better than your hand if you're small uh, or if you're big. And I can assume that your father knew about this behavior. Yeah, and uh, even... Even though he wasn't as much of a disciplinarian, occasionally... Oh, uh, you're using that word again. (laughs) Uh, 
I mean, I give you, I give you a word that I think is more accurate. Okay. You know what it is. Um. No, what, what it like he did, and then just say. No, sorry, you, you, you keep saying your mom was a disciplinarian. Disciplinarian. Your dad was a bit less of a disciplinarian. Um, but you are. You are relabeling child beating as as discipline, right? It's not. Right. Call things by their true name, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. What What is hitting a child on the bare buttocks with a belt? That's abuse. That's abuse. Yeah. It's interesting that yeah, you use the word humiliation, too, because there's a, there, there's a, an interesting mix of fear as well. Sorry, an interesting mix of what? Fear and shame. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it is it is a um, a terrorizing dominance of a child's personal and sexual space to hit on the bare buttocks. I mean, buttocks are sexual. I mean, not saying they are for little boys and little girls, but they are an erogenous zone. They are things that you can't go to school with no pants on, even if you're wearing a cup because your ass is hanging out, right? And, um, I mean, in, in the gay community, chaps, you know, the, the pants with no ass, uh, are highly sexualized. And when I lived in the gay district uh, for, for a while, these guys be walking all over the streets. And uh, some of them had fantastic asses. Like, I met this guy at Libertopia named Starchild. Yeah, he wore this kind of stuff all the time. I can understand it. I had a great ass. If I had an ass like that, I'd never wear pants. But, um, but the, the, the ass is an erogenous zone. Uh, it is a, a sexual zone. And um, there is sexual as well as physical violation when it comes to particularly bare ass spanking. And there are studies that show uh, that there are correlations between bare ass spanking and uh, sexual problems, let's say, or fetishes uh, as, as an adult. And again, I'm not trying to put you in that category. I'm just pointing it out that this is not discipline. And, and the humiliation is, is somebody completely owning your body. They're owning your physical space. They are dominating you. And they are in control of your nervous system, completely dominating your existence in that moment. That's pretty heavy. It uh, also, I think, connects a lot of thoughts, uh, disparate thoughts. Um, I, I just and I'm, I'm happy to listen. I, I don't want you to talk about stuff that's really embarrassing to you. That's my job. <laughs> but if you uh, if you want to tell me your thoughts, I mean, I'm happy to hear them, or you're welcome to keep them to yourself uh, if if you feel it would be helpful. I mean, the more you talk, the more we can usually connect. Uh yeah, I, I guess in the interest of that, and I, you know, I, <laughs> I, I, I do respect you, and I respect your opinion a lot, and I, I, strangely, I'm almost glib about it sometimes. Like I, uh, I, I used, almost you, you are glib about it, of course. Well, it, it, it is some scar tissue to to protect myself, I guess, but. Uh, sure. <laughs> but it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't. It, it protects you when you are still in that abusive environment, but it's no longer protecting you now. In fact, as you point out, it's counterproductive, right? 
Right. Right. Uh, well, so the disparate fonts was I. I uh, it, it it relates a little bit to the the circumcision uh, video and the the uh, other other things. Um, uh, I I used to be suicidal as a child, and uh, it's not uncommon for people with suicidal ideations to to also mutilate themselves. And I mm. uh, I used to do that to myself in a, in a private area. And uh, it's like it, a, a little death to stave off a big one, right? Sorry, it's like a little death to stave off a big one. Self-cutting. I, yeah, I, I suppose it, it it does make the the dopamine kind of just flow, and you you know well, that it, it's it's sorry it's 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 exercising a violent control over your own nervous system, which is what you associate with having power. And, and suicidality, I think, comes out of a kind of powerlessness or a belief that the world is inhabited by uh, unredeemably evil people that you will never escape. I mean, we, we, we kill ourselves not to escape the world, but all the people in it and, and the lack of exceptions to the rule of, of how we were raised. So I, I, I really sympathize, and I'm, I'm really sorry about that. Uh, it, it is not... Uh, of course, how we should exercise self-control through self-mutilation, but I can certainly understand why it also might be your sex organs that would uh, draw you, uh, not just because of the sensitivity of the nerves, but also because uh, if your ass was used to attack you, to, to control you and to humiliate you, I mean, that's that's a sort of semi-sexual act already, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the word control is also interesting because uh, when I was a cutter... I had a strange sense of uh, self-discipline. And, and in this case, I am using the word discipline correctly, I think. Uh, the amount of control... I would not I, argue that. It's, it's, it is self-abuse to cut yourself, right? Yes, uh, but in other realms of my life, I, I exhibited a lot more control over myself. Uh, so while I, I I did abuse myself by by cutting myself, I I, I had more discipline to to work out, to to study, uh, and do other things. Right. Right. And the control, I, I think that's an interesting word to use because that it did make me feel as though I had more control. Sure. And I feel as though I <laughs> Oh, hello, you still there? I can hear you, Steph. Did we lose him? Uh, he's still showing up as on the call, but Yeah, his uh, his audio dropped. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll talk for a moment. Um, you know, the, uh, when we have to adapt to an abusive environment, we adapt to that as if it's never going to change. Because when you're two or three or four or five, it, 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 you, you can't conceive of it ever changing. My, my daughter thinks she's going to live with us forever, right? <laughs> why would she not? Why she, she doesn't 
she doesn't get that she grows up and, and is going to move out or whatever. And so when you're a child adapting to an abusive environment, there is an eternal future. You, you do not adapt to saying, well, I better not adapt all the way because I'm going to need to undo this later. There is no later when you're four or five or six and being assaulted in this kind of way. There is a permanence, an eternity to it. Now, of course, we do grow up, and most of us do move out uh, and, and sort of start our own lives, and then we have much more choice over our environment. And anybody who tries to pull the kind of shit that some parents pull on us as adults, well, that's assault. And somebody pulls down your pants and hits you with a belt, buckle side or no, I mean, they're guilty of assault. And, you know, they, they're going to jail. And uh, so we have a kind of protection I remember I worked at a Swiss chalet. And at the Swiss chalet was a bar. And the bartender was serving some guy who was getting abusive. And and it escalated. And the guy threatened to beat up the bartender. And the bartender said, well, fine, I'll just call the cops and have you thrown in jail. And I remember that. I was, I was young. I was still a teenager at this point. I w- I'd been on my own. I think I was 17 or so. I'd been on my own for about two years or, or been without parents for about two years. And I just remember thinking, like, well, I, 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 I guess that's true. You could just call the cops and have that. And that, I remember that being a real turning point for me, just thinking, well, yes, he's an adult. So if somebody threatens to beat him up, he can call the cops and have that person thrown in jail. Now, that wasn't the case for me when I was a kid. You know, my mom threatened to beat me up. I mean, you just submit it. I mean, what else are you going to do? And I, I think it's, it's hard to adapt, but it is necessary to adapt. Uh, we definitely don't want to spend our whole lives as if we're under the control of abusive people and we're five or six years old. Uh, that is a tragic way to live. And, and that is a way, of course, of keeping our standards lower, which, as I've argued before, is how the abusers win. They get you to lower your standards and they rule your life or your lack thereof. So... It is in these early deep experiences that we need to look and there is self-protective mechanisms that are put in place, the minimization, the relabeling of things, the changing of definitions, the whatever. And, you know, usually the promotion of one parent to bad and another parent to not so bad, which is all nonsense. I mean, there's no... In that situation, right, I mean, there's somebody maybe more abusive, but the other person's letting them get away with it. Um, and married that person and exposing the children to that person, people, and so on, right? Um, you know, it's like if I have a dog that bites my daughter and I say, well, it's not my fault, it's the dog's fault. Well, the dog bit me, not my dad, so my dad's okay. It's like, no, no, <laughs> I brought the dog into your life. and All that kind of stuff, right? So uh, are you back? Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, okay. Sorry, I, I dropped off there for a second. I can... Oh, no, no problem at all. It's, uh, I think you dropped off. I nodded off. <laughs> Hit my sleep switch, you know. Uh, well, that's the ultimate defense is to get sleepy, right? No, no. Uh, anyway, so so at the level... Sorry, go ahead. The, the internet got sleepy, I think. Right. So when it comes to anxiety, um, you know, I, I mean, again, it feels weird to have to say this stuff in the 21st century, but, you know, people should not be hitting their children with, with belts. And, you know, if if... If I hit my wife with a belt on her bare ass, leaving welts and marks, 
leaving it hard for her to walk and maybe even impossible for her to sit down. And she said, well, you know, my husband is quite a disciplinarian. <laughs> I mean, we all know what other people would say to her, right? Get out, run. <laughs> well, they may, but they certainly wouldn't agree. Oh, yes, he's quite a disciplinarian, quite strict. You know, my husband really likes the house clean. And if I don't do it the way he, he wants me to do it, then I, I get my bare ass beaten with a belt. Well, he's, he's disciplined. He must really care about that clean house, right? But that's not what people would say. This guy's an abuser. And you're not in a safe environment. Now, of course, you can't say to kids, get out, because they're biologically stuck there, right? And no independence and all that. But I think it is important to, to, to really, you know, face this trauma. I mean, this is, yet again, I'm no psychologist, I'm no expert, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say, well, that which is illegal in a civilized country to do to children and which is illegal in every country in the world to do to an adult does constitute abuse. And a particularly egregious form of abuse, because there's something calculated about it. You know, like in, in my household, there were these eruptions, and my mom would just sort of lash out or, or whatever, right? But it was never cold and patient and calculated. And that's why I sort of asked about the mechanics of the spanking, because it's kind of cold and calculated. I'm going to spank you, I'm going to go and get the belt. Uh, uh, I'm going to pull your pants down. Uh, I'm going to put you across my knee. I'm going to, it's very, it's cold. It's methodical. It's the, sadistic. It, it's not the, just an eruption. You, does that make sense? Yeah. The, uh, I should add the, the countdown from 10 is probably the worst. Uh, what is that? The, my what mom fresh would, hell is this to quote a Shakespeare line? <laughs> yeah. My, my mom would, uh, count down from 10, uh, And the time she reached one, there was not compliance. It was it was going to lead to some welts. Yeah, I, I see parents doing this too. Um, I'm going to count to three. I mean, that's that's not reasoning. That's not negotiation. I mean, that's just threat. Right, and it has a added little sadistic uh, anxiety-inducing mechanism. It, it yeah, and the kid is like, is she bluffing? Is she, you know, is it real? Is, I mean, I can't imagine. Let's say it's taken a while for the, the lady at Starbucks to get my latte. I mean, do I get to say to her, I'm going to count to three. If I don't have my latte by three, I'm leaping over the counter and I'm going to hit you in the ass. I mean, I'd be, a, I'd be a fucking lunatic. I wouldn't even have to do it. Even threatening it would get me arrested, right? Right. But we, 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 we can't really, con we're still so primitive as a species that we really, really have trouble seeing children as people. We have trouble seeing children as equal to independent adults. You know, when, when you reframe or rephrase your, say, your or most people's childhood experiences as do it at Starbucks, do it with a police officer, you know, do it with a judge, do it with a security guard, do it with the guy at the juice store. Do it with a salesman. Do it with a car salesman. You know, I'm, I'm going to count to three. If you don't come down to the offer I want, I'm going to pull my belt out. I'm going to hit you on your bare ass with my belt. Or, you know, you go to some employee's office and his desk is a mess. 
hey, we have a clean desk policy. Pull your pants down and bend over. I'm going to hit you in the ass with my belt. I mean, you get that the, this insane. And, and these are independent adults. I mean, they can get you arrested. They can leave. They can quit. They can walk out of the building. They can tell you to go fuck yourself and leave at any moment. Children don't have any of those freedoms, any of those options. So we should have the highest goddamn standards for children. But instead, we have lower standards for children. Imagine if you went to a goddamn zoo. You went to a zoo and the monkey threw something at the zookeeper. And the zookeeper took off his belt, grabbed the monkey, and hit it on the ass with the belt. And that was filmed and put on YouTube. What do you think would happen? He'd get fired. People would go insane. I got the video called The Story of Your Enslavement. It's my most successful video. And in it, there's a video of a guy kicking a dog. We're not talking about war and death and murder and debt. And everybody goes insane over the guy kicking a dog. But then you bring up spanking and people are like, no, that's discipline. No, that's, what, what else are you going to do? They're kids, they don't listen. Because <laughs> you're not talking to them because you're hitting them. Of course they don't listen. So, but when you reframe what we do to children, to anybody else, or even other species, people go insane. Like the number of people who wrote to me and said, I can't believe that circumcision video. I mean, just look at the comments. People are like, I couldn't watch that video. I, I, you know, I, I had this done to my son, and I, I can't watch this video. And it's like, you cut the end of your son's penis off. It's the most sensitive part of his entire body. When he was a day or two old, he's screaming out for his protectors, who are the ones actually inflicting this mutilation on him. What did you think was happening when they took a scalpel to your son's genitals? What did you think was happening? And say, here's a video of it. And people are just, I don't know what it is. What the hell is wrong with people? They can't connect these basic things. Yeah, it's complete. I don't, I don't even know what, what to call it. It's, it, it, it is a kind of dissociative madness that we as a species have to really fight hard to overcome. And I, I, I mean, I'm doing my best to, to try and help people with it, but, but viewed with any compassionate, empathetic eyes, I mean, the human species is astonishingly and abominably cruel still even now um and uh, i just wanted to sort of point that out and and so i'm sorry that you went through all of this this is not how you should have been dealt with as a child and what what it's done of course is it is an internalized i mean i see this process with my daughter all the time you know she she drops a glass it breaks on the floor what do we say it's okay it's just a glass. What the hell do I care about a glass? <laughs> it's my daughter, you know? Glass isn't going to be holding my hand when I slip off into the great beyond, hopefully in 50 or 60 years or 600. And when she drops things now, do you know what she says? That's okay. <laughs> it's okay. With exactly the same intonation. It's okay. Because she has internalized what happens when you make a mistake. It's okay. I mean, it's a glass. What do they cost? A buck? Five bucks? I mean, who cares? Who cares? And a clean house. Jesus Christ. A clean house. 
I mean, hitting your children over dust, over mess. I mean, what kind of insane priorities are those? This is your flesh and blood. Over disobedience. Who the fuck are parents that the children have to obey them? My daughter hasn't, doesn't have to obey me. She doesn't have to listen to me. She doesn't have to respect me. She doesn't have to love me. She didn't choose me as a dad. She owes me nothing. I owe her everything. I made the choice to be a father. But what does she owe me? She owes me nothing. And the idea that she owes me something, if she fails to provide it, obedience, tidiness, uh, cleanliness, politeness, niceness, what the fuck? To, To hit a helpless, defenseless, fundamentally, biologically enslaved child I cannot conceive of even raising my voice at my daughter, let alone hitting her. It's, it's, it's inconceivable. I mean, I, I just, I can't imagine it. Any more than you could imagine cold cocking someone at Starbucks for getting your latte order wrong. Anyway, I just wanted to, uh, to mention that. That's uh, that's a lot of self knowledge. I've got a lot to process. I think, um, and, and no, I'm, I'm I'm very thankful for uh, the the counseling. I I suppose I I don't exactly know what to do next, but uh, there's there's a lot to think about. Well, I'll tell you what I tell everyone. A, sit down, talk to your parents. And B, get a good therapist. You know, if, if you said, I want it's to become... It's not going to be possible. One of, oh, one of those isn't going to be possible? I assume it's the first one then, right? Uh, father, yeah, he died. Okay, well, I'm ambivalent about that. So <laughs> I'm going to say yeah. sorry, but I'm not... But, but uh, okay, sit down with your mom. Like, sit down and, and, and talk about this stuff. This is important stuff to I don't talk about. I've mostly gone through the defooing process already, and I don't think that I would. Uh, I, I don't know what I would gain from talking to her about it. Well, that's, I mean, obviously, these are my suggestions. Uh, I certainly have no answer and i have no authority as you know in in telling anybody what to do that's my suggestion uh if you're already through that process again i hope you're talking to a counselor or will uh, bring a, a competent therapist into the mix uh as far as this goes the therapeutic profession does seem to be starting to understand some of the parent-child issues that we've talked about in this show for years and years and they do seem to be more open to voluntary relationships between adult children and parents with a history of abuse, like maybe not seeing them or whatever, they're at least starting to apply a tiny fraction of the level of protection extended to women in particular in abusive relationships with a spouse. Uh, They're starting to extend a tiny bit of protection of that towards adult children with a history of being abused. So um, that would be, you know, find somebody who's who's got that competence or skill set or at least that perspective and... uh, uh, you know, family separations are big, difficult, complicated topics, and uh, I would really strongly suggest that uh, uh, you talk to a counselor. Again, 
it's your, you know, you're obviously the final person who's got the hand on the steering wheel of your life, but those are just my suggestions. It's good suggestions. I unfortunately really don't have access to uh, therapy. I've I've sunk a lot into my my Mm. business and I don't really have uh, means to do very much else. Uh, You don't have any uh, insurance or health insurance that might cover this stuff? No. No. All right. Well, then the last thing that I would suggest is – John Bradshaw, Nathaniel Brandon, and so on, have these workbooks. And again, I know as an entrepreneur, you probably don't have a lot of time, but uh, I would definitely look into, um, into, into that kind of stuff. At least that will start to open, you know, write down your dreams, uh, be, be open and receptive. And um, you get that you call your feelings irrational because you as a child were called irrational, right? And I would not reproduce that within myself. Right. That's, uh, uh, that is a conditioning or imprinting kind of i i don't know the exact word for it it's in in the internalization i think is is the term we we internalize the everybody around us uh, particularly those who they are infectious personalities for better or for worse are are infectious and uh, everyone who's around us um has uh, imprints and impressions on us and this is why you know i i would rather have somebody with a, a hacking cough around me than somebody with a mean streak because the hacking cough, I can get some medicine for, but somebody with a mean streak, that they're going to embed themselves in my brain. Everybody leaves footprints, and those footprints harden uh, into concrete very quickly. And uh, so that would be uh, something, again, that, that is important. I just, just don't have people who are mean in your life, particularly during, during a transitional time. Right. So those darn mirror neurons. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, you know, they are... Uh, <laughs> They are very important things to protect, you know. The mirror neurons, for those who don't know, uh, and they can see them not just in humans but in other species as well. The mirror neurons are um, – they, they fire. When, when you see somebody else get kicked in the nuts, they fire as if you were kicked in the nuts. They, they really allow you to empathize uh, at a very visceral level uh, with others. And, um, yeah, they are uh, very, very important uh, to to protect. They are that which gives you the capacity for empathy, for love, and I would say fundamentally for uh, for virtue in a visceral way or in a visceral sense. So I'm really, I just, I'm incredibly sorry. You know, from the very bottom of my heart, I'm incredibly sorry that you had this experience growing up. That is wrong. Uh, you know, Beating kids with with belts, that's just stone evil. I, I'm not trying to say your mom is evil from top to bottom and back to front, but th- those those actions are astonishingly immoral. And um, particularly because you're kind of a young guy. I mean, if you were like 90, you know, and your childhood was like before the Second World War, or I don't know what, halfway to the First World War. But I mean, you're you're a young guy, and your childhood won that long ago, and the information is readily available for alternatives. I mean, parental effectiveness training has been out forever. And uh, even Benjamin Spock's post-war book, The Common Sense Book of Baby and Child Care, I mean, specifically rejected corporal punishment. Uh, I mean, this, this is not new stuff. This stuff has been around for at least two and maybe three generations. Uh, we're not asking people to be heavily cutting edge here when we ask parents to look into alternatives to corporal punishment. The science is very clear and has been 
since at least the late 80s, early 90s oh. is when the first flurry of studies showing the negative effects of spanking and corporal punishment. It's not, it's not hard to find this stuff. Um, uh, the Academy of Pediatrics is against corporal punishment. Uh, it, is, um, it is not hard to find. So it, 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 this is not imposing unrealistic standards on information available to parents. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, you cut out for a second. I was just... Uh, seeing if you're there. There's a, a lot to add, and I I know I've taken up 30 minutes worth of time, so uh, I, uh, I I don't want to use up anyone else's time. That's uh, no. If you've have, you've got something real important to say, I, I don't mind going over. I mean, where the hell have I got to go? <laughs> so uh, this is this is more important than. Uh, anything else in my world at the moment. So if you have something else you wanted to add, um, I mean, please don't don't be conscious of, of time. If this is the first real conversation you've had about this stuff, uh, you know, time time is not the issue. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the first conversation that really was, I guess, meaningful on this this topic. Uh, and and the spanking that 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 was just one thing. It's. There were there were actual fists thrown, and and my dad he was, uh, uh, you know, I, I use the words less disciplinarian or, or less abusive, but he's he had some some emotional problems. He he, I, I again I'm I'm no clinician. I can't diagnose the man, and he's dead. So there's there's nothing really I can can do other than speculate. But I think. Uh, I had, had talked to someone, and it was something like a schizoaffective disorder, where uh, mm. he he would say inappropriate things and uh, not have the appropriate emotional response a lot of times, and uh, and and uh, that didn't actually get a lot of uh, discussion when I was in counseling, when I was still in college, because I, I did take advantage of some counseling, although it was it's not helpful at all. And uh, it, was, it definitely was not empathetic or voluntaristic or any of that. It was more of the, you could, you, you could reconcile, you should reconcile, they're your parents, uh, and, and a lot of other things. So, I mean, the, the spankings, that's, and that, that's just the most easiest, the most conventional thing to talk about. But, I mean, <laughs> what does it say about it? Would be, it would be, I mean, sorry, but, but, but spanking is, is, it's not even a lack of empathy, it's anti-empathy. Right. Because it's, it's using the emotions and the nerves of the child against the child. Uh, it's, it's not just a lack of empathy, it's... it's yeah. yeah, sorry. Yeah, so, so if, if this anti-empathy was a characteristic of your parents, then I'm, I'm sure that it would show up in infinite other areas. So yes, this is the most dramatic of, of the things to talk about, but I'm sure at, at every level, from, from top to bottom, from beginning to end, uh, this, uh, 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 this cruelty, this, this indifference, this hostility, this control, this dominance, this abusive tendencies, they're going to show up uh, everywhere. Like parents aren't nice and then just wind up hitting their kids and then they're nice again. I mean, it, it, it's part of a general... Uh, I think the technical term is characterologic, like embedded. It's not just a little part of the personality, like a quirk. It is the personality. Uh, there was there's another thing that I wanted to talk about, but it's it's rather taboo, and you'll have to excuse me if I'm 
I, I'm somewhat glib or if I if I put up Wait, sorry, we so from penis cutting to belt hitting to I know, I know to defooing. It's... Now we're starting to think about talking about something taboo. Okay. I, I am wait, hang on, let me put on my straps here. I'm I'm clipping in. I, I I've got my hand ready and, and let's roll. What what have we got that's now more taboo than what we've been talking about before? Uh, so the the disparate thoughts, uh, another one of those was um, the, the breakup that I had recently, it, uh, it, there, there was this woman who, for lack of a better word, was uh, submissive. And um, uh, it, she, she was, I guess, to, to use the parlance, it's, uh, she, she was very much into the, the BDSM culture and, and pain play. And, uh, oh, you mean submissive like... In sort of bondage and domination, right scenarios, rather than she just didn't, you know, she would let me choose the restaurants, kind of thing. Right, <laughs> right. right. Uh, so, um, what what ended up driving the the, the nail in the coffin for that was uh, I I had been listening to your show and and for a while now, and <laughs> I've donated forty dollars. I think I owe you a, about another hundred if we're gonna to deal with the, the 50 cents of podcast thing so if, if i get the business off the ground uh, you no. know what grow, grow your business don't worry about paying me um just grow your business that's that's i would feel more happy with that than than getting another hundred bucks from you but but go ahead well she uh i i had a, a really hard time being a, a dominant and in in the past i didn't have as big of a problem with it uh bondage and and uh bdsm play it it was not something that i i ever shied away from before and and this woman was expecting it and it was does it does it show up a lot in your dating life i mean i don't <laughs> understand all kinds of square and old um i went out with lots of women when i was younger and i i don't think it ever came up once <laughs> You know, like, uh, here's a cat of nine tails, the beat me, eat me, licorice whip or whatever. But um, does it show up a lot in your dating relationship? Yeah. And, and what does that really say about me? The, the, yeah. Well, it, it confirms the theory that bare ass spanking with implements in particular is, uh, is going to give rise to sexual dysfunction. Uh, oh, I'm just looking forward to the tsunami of emails saying, you're saying that BDSM <laughs> is sexual dysfunction, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, it's not, not necessary cause. for fertility. So, sorry, go ahead. Co- correlation is not causation, but there, there, uh, it is a link. And it, it bothers me. It, it, it still bothers me. And I, there was this part of myself, there's an incredibly angry part of myself. Uh, I mean, so I... Uh, I, I'm starting a biotech and, and forces of good. I want to improve uh, quality of living. But th- there was a time where I was like looking at all the evil scientist stuff and I was a very unhappy person. And uh, I, I did not mind in, in the past uh, cutting someone during sex if they, if they were okay with it, if they had asked for it. It wasn't like... <laughs> I have a surprise for you. Right, right. <laughs> God no! Amyl nitrate and a scalpel. Let's go. Oh God! Uh, and and bondage. It was. It, I I think it was just part of what I 
presented to the world kind of uh, and pe- people see certain traits and, and whether consciously or subconsciously they'll they'll latch on and 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 if that's what they're attracted to then it, it made perfect sense that, that that happened a lot in my sex life and what were the um, what were the women's childhoods uh, like <laughs> Most most of them had been raped, uh, and their daddy issues across the board. Uh, just, I I guess there was a side of me that was that was nurturing, and and I, I I'd like to think that that's part of my core personality, and that hasn't changed. Uh, but the <laughs> oh god. Uh, Come here, Daddy wants to to discipline you, or like all it it makes me cringe now. It no, I get it. And now, when you say they were raped, were they raped um, outside of the family, or or inside of the family, or uh, most of, most of them outside of the family, to to my knowledge. Right. Okay. And uh, well, look, you um, you don't need me to tell you this because you know, but this is not not helpful stuff right i mean it's helpful for you to talk about it and i appreciate it. my god i mean i appreciate your honesty i mean this is um courageous frankness um but well, i don't think you want to be yeah no it's not glibness i mean you're being very frank you you know you didn't want to bring this stuff up to some degree it, and i understand it's taboo right and to me i mean this is much i mean this is all for want of a better phrase this is all voluntary it doesn't violate the non-aggression principle i mean bondage discipline i mean you know, dropping hot wax on people's nipples, uh, peeing in their ear. I mean, it's all voluntary, right? I mean, so right. it may be dysfunctional as all get up, but it's not a violation of the non-aggression principle. Um, uh, it may not appeal to my sense of sexual aesthetics, but it certainly is not immoral in, in any way. But uh, I would argue that it is a product of evil in, in the history. And to to continue it is to maintain the effects of evil in the history. Right, and, if that makes and any it, sense. For a lot of the women, they they viewed it somewhat therapeutically. That uh, there's this thing called aftercare. I mean, you you don't typically just have a scene where, where you beat someone or you you tie them up, you spank them, you humiliate them, or whatever, uh, and then just leave them. That's that's fairly uncommon, it, it, at least as far as I'm aware, and. In, in my experience, usually there's a kind of breaking and then rebuilding that occurs. And I, I can understand the therapy uh, or like that maybe they're using it to, to deal in the moment or that there's like the, I, I don't, I don't exactly know what kind of substance. No, I, again, look, I, I'm no expert and this is all just my bullshit amateur opinion as usual. But I don't think it's therapeutic. I, I think it's it's about as therapeutic as heroin or self-cutting. It provides you relief in the moment. Right. Um, and, and what happens, of course, is, is that we have this intense desire to protect our parents. That's biological. Right. And, and to forgive our parents and to excuse our parents. Because if our parents abandon us or turn on us when we were children, we're dead. We're dead. 
I mean, you know, you leave an abusive husband, you can go to a shelter, you can get a job, you can get police protection, restraining orders. I mean, you're at risk, of course, for the first 24 to 36 hours, but you're not going to immediately die. If your parents say, you know what, this kid's too much of an inconvenience, I mean, leave you in the woods, leave you in the jungle, leave you in the water, leave you on an ice floe, I mean, you're dead. So, so we, we bond and we, we try not to be too much trouble or, or if we are trouble, we try to be trouble in a way that is weirdly gratifying for them. Like a parent who hits you, there's an old line, I mentioned this in a podcast recently, um, the Tropic of Cancer, um, Norman, I can't remember his last name, um, he, the, the guy, he's a famous American novelist and, and he stabbed his wife like i don't know 15 times or something like that and he said uh, as long as you're using a knife there's still some love left you know in other words i'm not just shooting her in the head right norman mailer is the guy right and and so if you if your parent is beating you at least you're providing an outlet for their anger at least they have you have value to them in as, as an object of sadism Complete indifference is something no kid ever wants. So if your parents had sadistic streaks, you may very well have provoked the beatings in order to have value for them as a receptacle for their sadism. No, I definitely provoked the beatings for my father. That was... Uh, <laughs> every, everyone thought that I was kind of weird for that, but he, he didn't really show emotions. And that was, I mean... So you knew he cared when he hit, right? At least he cared something about, about you. At least you had some value to him, even as an object of, of cruelty, as a poison container, as Lloyd DeMoss talks about. Right. And, and the sick thing was that his, 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 base, uh, or his baseline uh, emotional state was he was, he was a, a kidder. He joked. He was, he was uh, outwardly very happy in usually the wrong circumstance. I mean, like his wife nagging him constantly, uh, him hating his job, all of that. And he was like this, I, it's, it's weird that, that he... Is it like this sort of Rodney Dangerfield sad sack kind of stuff? <laughs> you know, that, that was one of his favorite comedians, actually. Yeah, well, sometimes these things are not, not too complicated. So, <laughs> so with regards to the sort of reenactment, um, our, our desire is to normalize the abuse. Because when we denormalize the abuse... The anger comes out. And the anger against parents is, for children, life-threatening. Because it, it threatens even the sadistic or cruel or weird or twisted or fucked up bond that you have with your parents. If, if that is, I mean, it could be a wonderful bond. I hope that it's my daughter's bond with me is wonderful. But we have to do everything we can to contain the anger that we experience at, at these kinds of violations. Sexual, physical, emotional, neglect, abuse, verbal, whatever it is, right? And so the way that we tamp down our anger is to normalize what's happened. It's discipline. They, they, they were angry. They were drunk. They were upset. I did this. I did that. I didn't listen to them about this. I didn't do that. I forgot to take out the garbage. We normalize it, which means that we take all the responsibility for the abuse ourselves and we provide all the get-out-of-jail-free cards. We throw them at our parents by the, buck, by the bucket load. And the problem with that, of course, is that if that is not a problem... In other words, if the abuse that we receive is to be normalized, then it must be continued. And, and that's the trap that happens, and this is why people continue to put themselves voluntarily into abusive situations as an adult. It, it, it's we've normalized it. This is what people do. 
Like I've normalized the word tree to mean tree. So when I refer to a tree, I call it a tree. I make up my own language. And so this repetition compulsion, I don't believe it's therapeutic. I think it's part of a way of saying, this is life. You know, people who've got cruel parents, eh, people are just cruel. That's just human nature. We dominate. We, we are cruel. We're mean. We, you get away with I mean, just What they say is it's human nature, and therefore my parents aren't to blame. They're not an exception to the rule. All right, that was... People are cruel like people aren't nine, 19 feet tall. I don't say that my parents are short because they weren't 19 feet tall because they're in the normal range of human height. So we normalize, and then with the normality, gain, we gain the relief from rage, which means that we can continue in our relationship with our parents, which is so necessary for our survival as children. But the price of that release from rage is the repetition compulsion, which is not therapeutic, but a continuation. Again, my opinion, I could be entirely full of immense amounts of kangaroo caca, but that's just my thoughts. And I've got a whole book, a section in my book, Real-Time Relationships, called Time of the Boxer, that goes into to this in, from a slightly different angle. But that's, uh, I, I, you know, if I were you, interested in a woman, ask about her childhood. <laughs> ask about her childhood. And what you want is, you know, some combination of uh, uh, Emil and the detectives and the sound of music. Um, what, what, what you don't want is, you know, uh, you know, I was raped by a satyr in the shape of a gardener. Uh, you know, here's some some hot wax and a cattle prod. Let's go to town. Um, I, I think that you don't. You, you just ask them about their childhoods, and and if they've got a messed up childhood, and and they're not like they haven't worked through it. They're not like in therapy. I have been in therapy for a long time, or them self work, whatever it is that people have found as an effective methodology for dealing with this stuff. And I promote therapy because I believe in science and the scientific evidence is that therapy is the most effective way of uh, ensuring long-term happiness from a history of dysfunction. And I've got an, uh, an interview with uh, Dr. Gabriel Dichter, D-I-C-H-T-E-R, on this very channel, which people can look at, which goes into all of the science as to why talk therapy is the most effective way of maintaining long-term happiness. I don't just make this stuff up or, well, my wife's a therapist or I went to therapy. I mean, it works uh, and it's the most effective thing that has been found to work. Um, and this is, and th philosophy won't do it for you. I mean, that's why I'm not a therapist or a psychologist or any a doctor, any of these things. But um, if somebody has unprocessed trauma and have a repetition compulsion, if they're still cutting, if they're drinking to excess, if they abuse drugs or, of course, alcohol, if they're promiscuous, if they are acting out, you cannot be with this person no matter what. I mean, if you're healthy, they're going to make you not healthy. And if you're not healthy, they're going to keep you not healthy. Shy away, run away, fly away. Grab yourself an armful of greyhound, as the old Sam Cooke uh, Sam Cook, Sam Cook, Sam Cook song used to say. Grab yourself an armful of greyhound and get the hell away. It, it's okay to have This a is not right. So, Sorry, go ahead. It, it's okay to have a few Freudian slips during this conversation. Well, he was a very handsome man uh, and died a very... Because, of course, he had a, died a very tragic end. I mean, he was got into a disagreement with a prostitute and ended up getting shot. I mean, what a monstrous end to a, an incredible talent and a, one of the most amazing vocalists uh, outside of Freddie Mercury's... Uh, ah, these guys all have these terrible ends. Anyway, so... Ask about these women's histories. And, I mean, if there's a lot of trauma, man, just don't do it. This is just walking straight back into five-year-old skin and repeating all of the stuff that you need to get away from. Uh, I, th I think I've been realizing that more and more. 
uh, it's I, I I try to help a lot of these women, and it just it's not possible. Wait, is your theory of trying to help them recreating rape scenarios? In a sick way, that's what it used to be. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't have to talk you out of that then. But I mean, come on. That's yeah. I'll be your rapist tonight is no UB40 song that I know of. Oh No, Robert Palmer. Robert Palmer, anyway. It, it, it's, it's uncomfortable. This, this is a very uncomfortable conversation. Uh, well, look, look but this, this is, this is where, what you live. This is, this is where you are. And I, I, I mean, I respect you for talking about this stuff. Um, this is important stuff. This is this is the stuff which we as human beings should be talking about. Um, this is this is important stuff. And uh, it, 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 I mean, just think—you could have gone through your whole life. You could have gone through your whole life and never talked about this in, in any kind of clear, non-romantic, non-sexualized kind of way. I mean, assuming you're not, you know, spanking the monkey as we speak. I know I'm not, only because I'm on camera, of course, but. But, I, you know, you could have gone through your whole life without a meaningful conversation about this stuff. And that's just incredibly tragic. And the cycle would have repeated itself as it had in the past, yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad that I... Yeah, I mean, I mean, your dad and your mom obviously had some screwed up shit when they were kids and, and didn't do the work and didn't talk about it honestly, ended up acting out behind closed doors in this horrible way. Right. So, good for you. Best disinfectant is sunlight. Roaches can't hide from the light. No, I. On the one hand, I think uh, I'd, I'd love to talk more, but I think I've taken up a lot of your time, sir, and uh, I appreciate it. Uh, well, look, I mean, if if there's if there's, I mean, if you want to talk privately, this is you know, this is important stuff, and I care about you as a human being. I know we just met, <laughs> but uh, you know, you know my middle name, and now I know your secrets. Uh, so, if you want to talk, even if it's just privately, just. You know, send an email to Mike. We'll try and we'll try and set something up. I mean, I I don't do therapy, and it's not even close to to what I talk about. But um, if there's any kind of clarity that philosophy can bring to these these situations, uh, I'm certainly happy to help uh, if I can. And so, uh, you know, thank you for calling for calling up, and thank you for your honesty. And again, I'm I'm so sorry that that you have to dig yourself out of this hole. I mean, it does make your strong arm stronger. It does make your back stronger, and there's good things that can come out of it. But it's not something that that you want, you know. Right. Well, uh, good luck to the other colors on the line. I, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, all the best. All right. Thanks, man. Okay, Andrew, you're up next. Hello, Stefan. Can you hear me? I can. How's it going, Andy? Great. Um, great to finally talk to you. Yes, sorry about that uh, delay, but it seemed uh, it seemed important. Oh no, no, I, I totally understand. You can't cut those things short. Um, I, Wait, are we I, back on circumcision again? No. <laughs> uh, I have two things I'd like to talk about today, and they might be linked. Uh, I guess we'll find out, or you may. Um, one thing that's kind of more medium to long term with me, and have existed as far as I, as long as I can remember, is that difficulty in emotionally connecting with other people. Uh, um, and uh, this is something I've had for uh, yeah as far back as I can remember um, and it's 
you know, it's starting to cause me, well, it has caused me difficulties already, but it's causing me more difficulties uh, as I get, you know, now that I'm out as a young adult and, uh, you know, looking to establish relationships and friendships and all that. Are you, um, so, I mean, you're post-teenager, um, are you in college, are you bypassing college, your early mid-20s kind of thing? No, I'm I'm actually in my early 30s. Um, I've um, <laughs> oh, so is, wait, is early 30s now still a young adult? I mean, what, are you people going to live forever? I, yeah, I guess, uh, I guess I'm not a young adult. So well, yeah, I, I think, middle. you know, early middle age would be where I'd put it. Uh, <laughs> not to make you panic, but uh, um, anyway, go on. All right. Um, so, um, I don't know, I'm just, I, I can give you my history uh, if that if that's helpful or you, well, let me let me, sorry, let me ask you first. Uh, so when you say you you can't emotionally connect with people, um, how do you know? Like like what are the the signs? How would I know if I didn't if I just saw you? Uh, maybe if I saw you in a silent like no ver- words interaction with someone else, how would I know? Or how do you know? Or what does that even mean? I just want to make sure I understand uh, uh, what it means when you say that you don't connect with other people. Well, I've never. I've never sought out other people, or in childhood, I never sought out other children for friendship, uh, never spontaneously played with them. Um, and uh, that pattern continued basically until my undergraduate years, where I learned a lot of things. I learned a lot of social skills consciously in, you know, from 18 onwards that I think a lot of people learned earlier. Um, and... Uh, I think that's still causing me difficulties, although I've gotten a lot better uh, with at least the surface level social interactions. Okay. So uh, it's not that you're with people that you can't emotionally connect with. You don't even have the illusion that you could or would find value in other people, so you don't even seek seek them out. Is that right? I, th- I think I can, partly. Uh, I, I mean, but, yeah, there, it, it feels like there's something missing. Um, it feels like it, it, social interactions usually always feel like an act, and I realize that's common to a certain extent with you know with the average person <laughs> in the screwed up world. But, but uh, I think it feels like to a greater degree with me. Uh, I mean, I didn't have a girlfriend until graduate school, uh, and I met her online, uh, as with all my past girlfriends. Um, and uh, I don't know. I'm just starting to look at my family now, uh, looking back, and uh, I'm just starting to wonder just whether our interactions are a lot more superficial than I thought they were. You know, I used to think that I. All right, so you know, we're, in, we're in the land of euphemisms, which means we're in fertile ground. <laughs> All right, uh, not quite as deep as I thought we were. <laughs> um, okay, so um, what would it mean? for you to be connected. So if you've got a goal called getting connected with, pe- with people, how are you going to know if you've achieved that goal? To, to some reasonable degree, and perfect, who knows? We, we can't do a Vulcan mind melt, but um, how would you know? What would you look for to, to know you've achieved that? I guess, you know, be, be able to have fulfilling friendships, uh, be able to, you know, have fulfilling... Sorry, to have what kind of friendships? Fulfilling relationships. And fulfilling. Friendships. Okay, but uh, what is that? Fulfilling is just another way of describing connected. Um, it's an adjective rather than something really clear. So what's guess, missing uh, from, from your relationships that, that you could do that would affect 
them to make them more fulfilling or more. I mean, I can give you a word that I'm looking for because that's an annoying way of leading the witness. But um, like, I think to me, connection is, is nothing more or less than honesty, right? Yeah, and I, I have difficulty trusting people. Um, so I, you have difficulty being honest with people? Yeah, it always, I'm always holding part of myself back. Uh, and I have, I don't know, as long as I can remember. Right. And you've internalized this like it's your problem, right? Yes. I think that. I think. And, and why have you done that? How do you know that it's your problem? Well, I think, I think it is a pattern with my family. Um, and, I, sorry, I the reason the I'm way. saying that is that, sorry, the reason that I'm saying that, when, when somebody says I have a great life difficulty and it's my problem, I know immediately that it's not their problem. I mean, I just know that for a fact. Because anybody who's done any self-work knows that major life issues almost always originate in early childhood. Right? I mean, this is not, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to be a, a, a dermatologist to say that too much sun is probably not great for your skin. And you don't have to be a psychologist to say that major life problems usually show up in, as a result of early childhood. So if, if my parents had taught me the opposite word for everything, you know, up is down, black is white, love is hate, north is south or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I found other people found, found me confusing and, and offensive. You know, if, if I meant to say I like blacks, but my parents, parents taught me to say I hate niggers. Yeah. <laughs> and then I wondered why, you know, everyone thought I was a troll or something like that. <laughs> but, but I hate niggers. I mean, they're the worst. Why is everyone getting upset? <laughs> right? Yeah. Would I then say I have a problem with language? No, you, uh, you were taught poorly. You were, you yeah, were... I was taught the opposite, right? I mean, I, I, I was taught the opposite. I was taught the wrong. I was, and, and I have to struggle. It's my, like, I, ha- I have a problem now i got to fix. But it wasn't my problem. You know, someone stabs me. I have a problem like i got to go to the hospital. But that's not my stab wound. That's owned by the other guy. That's why he would go to jail for it, right? Sure, yeah. Your, your legs are broken and you have to deal with that, but you didn't break your legs. Right. So when you say you have difficulty, and I was listening to this as I always do. I mean, I'm listening to what you're saying, but I'm also listening to what you're not saying. And you did talk about your family, but, but very mutedly, very euphemistically, very minimalistically. You know, as in, well, we may not be quite as close as I thought it was, this, that, and the other, right? Yeah. Uh, so, in your family, as a child, what was your family's relationship to honesty from you? Um, I don't know. I mean, I was, I kind of kept to myself as long as I can remember. You know, I was always that quiet kid reading books or, you know, I played far too many video games growing up. Uh, outside uh, it's of, another judgment, but okay. What's that? Okay, so you what? So what you're really saying is that you found books and video games more enjoyable than the people in your house. Yes. Why? I don't know. I had no pleasure from interacting with them. Um, Which is another way of saying you didn't enjoy it. Why did you have no pleasure in interacting with them? What was missing, or what was pre- what was missing that you wanted, or what was present that you didn't? I guess. Now I realize that as I did try and, you know, speak a little honestly. I did try and speak honestly about my childhood with my mother recently, and she got extremely defensive, and uh, she was pretty adept at dancing around it, but she did dance around it. Um, so, yeah, I could not be honest. I'm 
pretty sure I could not be honest with them. It's just this goes so far back that I'm only realizing this. You're you know, pretty sure you could not be honest with them. Yeah, again, I mean, it. So there was no, there was no, sorry, <clears throat> didn't drop. There was no, like, I'm an empiricist, right? You know that, right? And so if you did not express honesty with them as a child, and I, I'm telling you, we're born honest. We are born honest. Uh, my daughter is a very honest person. I, uh, you know, occasionally she'll bend the truth or stretch the truth or say she's hungry when she, in fact, just doesn't want to go to bed. Um, but I know that. I mean, I know well enough to know that. It's one of the benefits of being home all the time is your kids can't really fool you. But unfortunately, you can't fool your kids either. Um, I tried, I, mean, I mentioned this before, I tried to sneak a piece of chocolate. It was a tiny piece. It was like under my tongue. And I walk into the room. She says, what's in your mouth? <laughs> like, how do you know? Get the camera's out of my teeth. But um, so I'm an empiricist. So when you say, well, I wasn't honest as a kid and I avoided their company. And then when I tried to talk to my mom as an adult, she got defensive, wouldn't listen, um, whatever. I couldn't be honest with her. Yeah. So if you don't have an example of successful honesty with your parents then this is not a relativistic or shades of gray situation. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, like yeah. If, 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 I, if I have a neighbor who, um, you know, dresses up in KKK uniforms and, and just, you know, hates minorities and so on, he doesn't have a racist bit. He's not kind of racist. He's not on the racist side. He's racist. Yeah. Um like you said, you, you so if you can't think, uh, you know, if you're in your early 30s and you've known your mom or your parents for 30, 31 years and you can't think of a time where you've been successfully or, or have honesty positively received with them, then the relationship isn't kind of like not quite as deep as you thought, right? Yeah, we, we, we discuss superficial topics. Um, and I, I just don't. Why do you discuss superficial topics? What happens when you don't? Uh, they get nervous and divert or, uh, show signs of irritation. Um, you know, I, I don't, I haven't tried being that honest with them growing up just because it, I guess this pattern was established so early that I just took it for granted pretty quickly. Sure. Sure. And I'm very sorry for that. I mean, to, to be trained out of honesty is to be trained out of intimacy. To be trained out of honesty, to have honesty punished, attacked, is to be trained out of connection, is to be trained out of love, is to be trained out of happiness, I would argue. I mean, how can we really be happy if we can't be honest with the people around us? Because then all we're doing is avoiding, evading, hiding, minimizing, talking about trivia we don't care about, we're bored, we're not connected, we, we can't have a bond. You know, the, the, the parent-child bond is considered to be foundational to adult personalities, right? And what's called an insecure bond is, it causes big psychological problems later on. An insecure bond, of course, is when the child must conform to the mother's preferences, and I use mothers, could be the father too, but mother's usually the primary caregiver if there is a parent at home. When the child must conform to the right. parent's preferences rather than be honest about his or her uh, emotional and intellectual experiences and, and be honest about what's going on. 
right? If, I, if I'm singing the My Little Pony song and I do a bad job, what does my daughter say? You need to work on your song. Not good singing, Daddy. That's <laughs> not good singing. And she's right. And uh, whereas if I was really obsessed with being a great singer and I'd be like, oh, what are you talking about? I, I can't believe you would say that to me. That's so rude. Here I am just having a happy time. I'm singing a song and you got to jump on me and criticize me. What the hell's wrong with you? Well, how long is her honesty and her openness going to be uh, surviving that environment? Right. If I'm honest, I'm attacked. If I'm honest, I'm rejected. Yeah. Well, that is the parent saying, you better conform or else. And there's no kid who wants to explore the or else because we got no independence. We, we got to conform, right? To, to whatever the preferences are of our environment that way. Yeah, that makes sense. And so you're going to dive into non-relational activities, books and video games, of course. You're going to dive into non-relational activities because relationships are empty and superficial and boring because they're all about conforming with selfish needs of other people for shallowness and non-confrontation and dishonesty. Yeah. What the hell's, you know, want to get together and talk about sports and lie? <laughs> want to get together and talk about the weather and avoid? Uh, no, I think I'll get more out of a book or out of a video game, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then you say, you say, uh, I have a hard time trusting people. You know, that's just another way of internalizing. What would be a more accurate way of saying that? I've been trained to not trust people or conditioned to not trust people. Yes. Or another way of putting it, which is not dissimilar, is to say, um, I was surrounded by untrustworthy people. Because anybody who rejects your honesty, anybody who attacks you for your honest opinion, is not trustworthy. Because they prefer their own illusions to your reality. And you, you can't connect with people like that. Yeah, I don't trust my family. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry about that. I mean, dealing with an insecure bond... I mean, that was my issue, too. I mean, dealing with an insecure bond, I, I couldn't see anything my mom didn't like. You know, I, I did a, uh, I just mentioned this in a podcast, but I mentioned it here, too. I don't want to make this about me, but, you know, one night, I had a test the next morning, some sort of science test, and one night, I'm lying in bed, and my mom's sitting in my room smoking like a chimney, and she's typing something, some obsessive letter to someone about something, and... It was a, this is back in the days before computers, it was an electric typewriter. So, da, 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 very loud, right? And she'd mm -hmm. type in these fast bursts. She used to be a secretary, so she'd type in this. She was a very fast typist. She used to type in these fast bursts. And then she'd sit and smoke and ponder and think. And then she'd type another sentence, you know, five, ten minutes later. And so, and so I couldn't sleep. She was doing this in my room. Like, why the hell? We, could, we didn't have a one room, a three bedroom apartment. What the hell was she doing in my room? But I couldn't, I couldn't say, listen, mom, I'm, I'm trying to sleep. Could you take your typewriter out? Because she'd get upset, get angry, blow up, could throw the typewriter at me. I don't know the hell, right? Right. And I couldn't get up and go to another room because then she'd get angry at me. 
for making her feel bad for trying to save us from whatever the letter was supposed to be doing, right? So I just lie there hour after hour. The moment I start to fall asleep, more typing. I mean, that is such a ferocious level of dishonesty. Like, I can't even be honest about the fact that I want to get some goddamn sleep, that I got a test in the morning, and this is keeping me up. Like, I can't... I can't even be honest about the obvious. And so, yeah, developing honesty and openness was a challenge, (laughs) to, to say the least, right? I couldn't be honest about anything in my family. I think it was more subtle in mine, at least in some ways. I mean, there was never any physical abuse or not even any voices raised. Uh, you know, uh, which I guess is, makes it harder to see. Um, I think as you yes. mentioned last week in a call in, uh, a fellow with a narcissistic personality disorder or, or who had been diagnosed with that and had worked on that for years to uh, undo that damage. Uh, that did resonate with me to a certain extent. Well, and, and of course, libertarians, I mean, anarchists, uh, atheists, I mean, face this problem. Sorry about that? You, you, well, you, we face this problem. Thinkers oh, yeah. face this problem. Sorry, government doesn't exist. There's no God. Taxation is theft. Blah, 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 blah. War is murder. I mean, my God, try being honest in society. And see what happens, right? It's not, it's not just families. I mean, it's fucking planet. Uh, society is, you know, it's, it's like being a, a woman with magic powers in Salem in the 19th century. I mean, they're already witch hunting and they're going to find you with a black cat and levitating and you're toast. I mean, the world is, is hysterical about truth. The world stands on these stilts of delusions that a merest breath of reason can shatter and crumble. Everybody's hanging by a thread, and, and everybody's hysterical. The slightest energy of reason and evidence pulsing through the gossamer house of cards known as culture. I mean, God... Borders crumble, governments crumble, religions crumble, abuse crumbles, wars crumble, predations crumble, corporatism crumbles, fiat money crumbles. I mean, the amount of, of falsehood that society rests on is so extensive and reaches so far up, so far wide, and so far down that anybody who brings reason along... I'm sorry? You get anger or evasiveness or... Yeah, I mean, you get enraged. People get enraged. You you bring any kind of truth. So, uh, you know, we are... I just want to say, it's not just your mom and dad, but I mean, that obviously was your direct experience as a kid, but uh, it's a a challenge. You know, how much much truth is my daughter going to speak? I don't know. Tough call. Fucking hate the world for making this choice, but that's the way it is. Hmm. Um, So besides doing some therapy um do you have any suggestions in terms of how i could undo this well i wouldn't let my mom get away with one conversation i'd I'd go for another myself again what you do is up to you Um, but um 
I think that the people in your life you don't have deep conversations with, just say, I don't think we have any real conversations. I, I don't feel like, like we have any real connection or honesty. I mean, what's your experience? Oh, I love it. It's great. Well, what, what was the last important thing that we talked about? Yeah, she's actually, uh, uh, she worked as a mental health professional, which, uh, so she, she knows <laughs> a lot of tricks, uh, right. which will make it quite a challenge, but um, I'll give it another shot. But, but just stick with the honesty, right? Because what that does, of course, is, it, you know, if you haven't tried it since you were three, this is going back and starting the rewiring process, right? So um, I would, and, and just, you know, you got to grit your teeth and be honest with people, I think. I mean, honesty is just something that, that I mean, you don't want to be honest with people who are dangerous, right? Obviously, uh, people who are, uh, you know, risky people or dangerous people to be around. But where there's a possibility of connection, I would say um, honesty is, um, uh, is important. And if you get blasted for being honest, you can stay in the conversation and say, this is really painful for me. Like, I'm trying to be honest and, you know, my emotional, just RTR stuff, my real-time relationships theory, just be honest in the moment about your emotional experience. I'm really scared to have this conversation. I feel like I'm really putting our relationship at risk, but at the same time, I feel like our relationship is not blah de blah whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Just be be honest uh, and, and see what the, the response is. And, and people, you can wake some people up and shock some people out of the zombie status that, that is most of human relationships uh, or non-relationships. So, um, I think it's partly, I mean, therapy would be great. Self-knowledge is great. Um, talking with your parents is always important uh, and other people you have these shallow non-relationships with. But um, I think just just willing the the honesty uh, and and mapping the results I th- I think would would be important you know and I I would wouldn't say, I wouldn't give you the willpower prescription except that you're not 22 yeah right so you don't have all the time in the world not that somebody's 22 does but you know if you're in your early 30s you gotta right you, you gotta move quick I mean if you want to be a dad if you want if you want I don't know if you do or don't but if you want to have that kind of connection that comes in from uh, from from marriage and and love and and maybe kids or whatever um you know you you've got some time to work on this stuff and you got to find the right person and you got to find if they want to get married and then you got to get engaged you got to get married then it's going to take you know a couple of years maybe of marriage before you have kids you're already looking at getting into your late 30s or 40s uh so i would say you know you got to will this mother a little <laughs> will this process a bit all right um i guess i, I have another issue uh, if we if we have time to, to talk about it uh, I, I don't want to dis, dis you Mike we got one more person right yep one more person's waiting okay alright and does that person want to keep waiting Mohammed, do you want to keep waiting <laughs> well thanks good a man a few words hey <laughs> that might help because um, I won't be one of those uh, all right. Uh, so, what's the other thing you wanted to talk about? Uh, this actually seems a bit harder to talk about, but uh, I learned last week that I slunked out of medical school, mainly uh-huh. due to mainly due to apathy and uh, at least some of the time depression. Um, so you kind of resigned from medical school. I mean, you didn't flunk out like you tried your damnedest but couldn't make it, right? No, I, I just flunked out. Um, I just the thing is, I, I went into medical school, and this is going to be a little funny, but I wanted to be, do. I wanted to be a psychiatrist. Um, 
And uh, that became harder and harder as, I don't know, it, it's pretty hard to succeed in medical school when you don't care about learning about the human body or the rest of the human body. <laughs> I think, um, I, I don't mean to laugh, because I get this is a, a painful topic, and I, you know, but as far as obvious statements of the evening, I believe that one is going to get the Nobel. Yes, it is, I'm sure, quite hard to succeed in medical school. I also hear law school sucks if you're not interested in the law, and art school sucks if you don't like painting or, or making pictures, and uh, and so on. So, um, but but you did you go in with more of a desire to learn about the human body, and that diminished, or was it never... Well, I, I was yeah. open to it when I went in. I mean, psychiatry is what more did me to apply, and I enjoy teaching in grad school, uh, but I didn't want to. And what did you want to be? Why did you want to be a psychiatrist? I wanted to help people help themselves, really. Um, Could you not can, get a job as a drug dealer on the black market? Or No, I'm just kidding. But uh, Well, I, I, I wasn't a, a libertarian when I went I um, I really only came to this so world. So from, from your perspective, like the, the SSRIs and, and the psychotropics and all that was like, you know, like diabetes, for in, uh, like insulin for diabetes, right? Yeah, at the time, that, that was the case. Yeah, I, you know... And I did, you, uh, did you change your... Sorry to interrupt. Did you change your opinion on that through the process of going through medical school? I became more and more skeptical. Yes, now I'm right. a great deal more skeptical. I realize it's a completely corrupt institution. Uh, so <laughs> that made it even harder in a way to, you know, when you when you're in this environment and, you know, makes honesty even more difficult uh, with your colleagues and your main social outlet. Um, because they, I guess, were all pro-medication. I mean, I don't assume a lot of them were studying it because they wanted to talk to people about their dreams and childhoods and mothers for 55 minutes an hour, right? Well, I, I mean, most want to be surgeons or general practitioners or, oh yeah, yeah, you know, cardiologists or whatever, right? I mean, the odd person in a class wants to be a psychiatrist or has an interest in psychiatry. Uh, but yeah, the, most would be pro-medication. I mean, it's just, you know, you come... How long did you spend in medical school? I did three years. I, uh, I, did, I had to repeat my second year, and uh, I learned that I failed a clinical test uh, that I had to redo this summer, so uh, I did. When did you learn that? Uh, last Monday. I'm sorry, man. I'm I'm sorry. I, I really am. I mean, I can't say that I'm sorry you didn't get a chance to be a psychiatrist. Um, but I'm very sorry that you had this goal and it kind of blew up, right? Yeah. And, and uh, I'm just trying to pick up the pieces now and wonder what next. Um, what's uh, your debt like? My deadline? No, sorry, what is your debt like? Oh, I, I am lucky enough that I inherited uh, some bank stock, bank stock from uh, my grandparents, uh, so I can use that to wipe it out. Uh, so that's one source of stress that's eliminated. Um, major one. Oh, okay, okay. Um, okay. I am worried about the big hole in my CV and just, you know, is this going to be a massive red flag that's going to cripple me uh, in looking for work or in look, looking at any other kind of training programs? Um, but uh, I don't know. I, this might be a topic for another day. Um, but 
I'm just wondering if did this, you, but how did, did you, you said you had, sorry, you, you said you had to repeat your second year. <clears throat> uh, at what point did you suspect that you didn't want to do this? Halfway through first year. I Aye. just, it became dull. Um, but I mean, a large part of my life has been kind of slogging through things, slogging through things. Uh, no, I get that. I mean, I get that from your relationships, right? <laughs> well, I, I also have always had kind of trouble paying attention and, but, but, but why, sorry, just, just I mean, I, I get that there's a shallow relationship or so on. Was there nobody who said, you're not happy, this is not what you want to do, what are you doing? Um, well, I mean, one of the, you mean my peers or, or you mean uh, just anybody? Anyone. I mean, a goddamn janitor. I mean, <laughs> I mean, a- anyone. Was there no friends, family, extended family, colleagues, classmates, dentists? I mean, anyone. Well, it was just always, any feedback I got was always, you know, just push on until the next stage, until the clinical years, you know, third and fourth year in residency when, you know, it will be better. Um, yeah. so. but, but, I mean, if you don't, if you're not interested in the human body, I mean, getting through the next year or two years, let's say you succeed and you become a doctor or let's say you succeed and become a psychiatrist. You're skeptical about psychiatry. You don't like the learning about the human body. I mean, to succeed would be to fail even more, right? Yeah, I mean, my main, my short-term goal is just to finish the degree and then, you know, decide from there whether I wanted to do a residency and train for practice. Um, yeah, the sort of fallacy of sunk costs, right? Well, I've waited for the bus this long. I ain't going to walk now, right? Yeah, and I mean, at first I thought it was just, uh, you know, oh, it's just a bad unit. You know, um, but you know that I don't like uh, you know obstetrics and gynecology. But you know, I just get through the end of this, and then you know the next unit will be better. And before you know it, two years have passed, and you know you're repeating a year, and you're looking at either dropping. Well, you know, this next thing you know, two years have passed. I mean, this is the price you pay for not being connected to people. You know, friends tell you when you're going in the wrong direction. Real friends, right? Everyone thinks support is like helping people move forward. No, 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 no. Sometimes support is dragging people off the bus to go in the wrong direction, right? Yeah. A friend who supported you would say, look, man, I mean, you're miserable. You you know, you talk talk about not being interested in the human body. You're skeptical about psychiatry. Like, what are you doing? It's not not what you want to do. This is not going to take you in the right direction. So, you know, cut your losses because, you know, it's better to have a, a six-month or a one-year hole in your resume than a three-year hole in your resume, right? And it's yeah. better to be $10,000 in debt than $30,000 in debt. Yeah. Right? Because everywhere, everywhere you go in the wrong direction is like three times as bad, right? Because you got, you, got, you know, you, you, you turn right when you mean to turn left. You go two miles right. You got to go two miles back. And then, right, you're four miles out of your way. And then you still got to go the two miles you wanted to go the other way. Right? So instead of two, it's like six. It's three times worse. And friends and people who care about you, who, who, who are passionate about your happiness, will dig in, will, will stop you, will take you out for that all-important two-hour coffee that changes your life, that, that gives you perspective. You know, I was engaged to be married to, oh, dear God, the wrong woman. Oh, man alive, did I ever dodge a bullet. A friend of mine sat me down. Oh, no, it didn't even sat me down. A friend of mine, his, his 
I can't remember if she was his fiance or his wife at the time, said, she said, just in passing, she said, you know, people who, after I proposed to the woman before we got married, she said, you know, people who are engaged, they usually seem a lot happier. Now, this wasn't sitting me down and making me see the truth and all that. But man, it's like that song, Someone Saved My Life Tonight, you know. And I said, you think about that, you know, Jesus, I'm not even that happy about being engaged. And from then I began to dig myself out of the mess. But if it wasn't for that couple of words, my God, my life might have been a complete disaster. Married the wrong person, might have kids with the wrong person, alimony, child support, divorce, brokenness, messiness, courts, law. Ugh, wouldn't have met my current wife. Ooh, I don't even like to think about it. I'd be so hungry. <laughs> but, um, I mean, this is, this is part of the, you know, books and video games that are a reasonable substitute when you really can't. Because, you know, if you, when you're in a family and you're a kid, if there's no connection with your parents, what's going to happen if you bring a real honest and curious friend over? Get out there. Oh, yeah. They'll chase him out faster than the, a mosquito in a car, right? You still there, Steph? So you didn't have that choice then. You have that choice now, but this is, I'm just trying to give you the cost benefit, right? You're flying blind here. You don't have that feedback mechanism of people who care about you. I had a friend when I was younger. He said, oh, I want to write a book. Now, I've written like, I don't know, eight or ten books over the years. And like, I'm not saying I'm some great writer. I mean, I, you know, my publishing stats are, you know, like one page of one book of Stephen King's. But I actually did write the books. That's the, that's the key thing, right? Right. And I, I just remember saying to him at one point, I said, listen... You're never going to write these books. You've been talking about it for years. It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. So stop it. Because what you're doing is you're kind of keeping things on hold because you're going to write these books. It's an excuse. You're not going to write these books. If somebody says, I'm going to do something, and within a month or two, they're not heavily underway, never going to happen. Never going to happen. And you've got to pry them away from that delusion so they can find something that's really going to work for them. But people get stuck at these, I'm going to, and it's going to happen, and something's going to happen, right? And friends will pry the demons of delusion off your back and spin you around in the right direction. And you need that kind of connection in your life. If you are breaking out of the matrix, sounds like you are. If you're breaking out of the matrix, you need friends in your life. Real friends, friends who are really committed to your happiness, even at the expense of immediate discomfort. You need friends who will help you see what you can't see yourself. I mean, imagine if you'd called this show two or three years ago and you told me, you know, Steph, I, I'm studying medicine. I'm interested in being a psychiatrist. I don't really believe in psychiatry and I'm not interested in the human body. What do you think I would have said? Well, to be fair, at the time, I did believe in psychiatry. Um, okay, what would I have said about psychiatry, right? <laughs> well, you would have done your best to convince people on a bunk, and, you know, it's, there's, you know, the mass drugging of school-age boys with Ritalin, and, you know, the, yeah, just the criminal corruption, and, yeah, so all that, all that stuff with it, and, yeah, I, I have. Well, and, and even if you didn't believe me on any of that, you still would have had for years to study the human body. And as a psychiatrist, you still have to study the human body because all this medicines or pseudo medicines or whatever you want to call them have a huge effect on the human body. 
but people you know it's like if you if you've got a friend and you're on a bus heading the wrong direction you want to go to some concert you know freddie mercury's back from the dead and cream is reunited with the ghost of Jimi hendrix on guitar and you're like jesus the best thing ever janis joplin's incredible and she's not even good enough to be anything other than a backup singer in this band right and you're on the bus and your friend knows you're going in the wrong direction and lets you go for an hour in the wrong direction just chatting away and you're like oh my god i've just went an hour in the wrong direction i'm never going to make this concert now what would you say to your friend why didn't you tell me the fuck the fuck dude why didn't you tell me? I didn't know. You knew. Why the hell didn't you tell me? And when you have made a mistake in your life and people around you are more responsible in some ways than even you are, because we can't see ourselves, right? The people around you who claim to love you, who let you continue to make a mistake day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, they are in many ways more responsible than you are because they can see what you can't. Now, if they can't see, then they don't care about you. They don't love you. It's bullshit. They're just proximity idiots, right? But if they, if they can see and they don't say anything, well, that's really bad. That's a, a complete failure of care for someone. People got to tell you those tough truths. They got to tell you those tough truths. I mean, the only reason I have this show is the world told me some tough truths about my abilities as an actor, as a playwright, as an academic, as a nah, businessman, I was much better, but I've told the business world I didn't want that part of it. But as, as, a, as a poet, as a, I mean, God, that's what, got me to here, which is where I'm doing the greatest good and having the, the best time. And people got to tell you the essential no's that keep you from wasting your precious years and your precious resources. And that's my urging for you to try and pursue intimacy, friendship, closeness, love, because those people would never have let this happen to you. I mean, I'm a damn stranger to you. I would never have let this happen to you if I had anything to say about it in the past. But you need people. Well, I'm... To help you see. Just like I do. I need, I need people too. Half, half the shit I can't see either. Sorry, go ahead. I don't know. Trying to, trying to work on it, yeah. So, yeah. Like I, said, I mean, you know, commit to honesty. Try and get into therapy. Uh, and... Um, don't kick yourself. We all fly in the fog, my friend. We all fly in the fog. And that's why we need the radar of other people's perception and honesty with us. And then that's what we provide to other people as well. Uh, but the, uh, the universal no to sometimes our greatest desires when the evidence shows otherwise is something we all need to hear. So I hope that that will be enough of an incentive for you to try and really pursue honesty with the people in your life or the people who could be in your life. Okay. All right. All right. Thanks. So don't kick yourself. Don't kick yourself. You don't know what great shit is going to come out of this. 
you don't know what great shit. But I tell you this, at least you won't spend a life doing something you hate. <laughs> yes, there is a bright side there. You know, it's better to have a, a two or three year hole in your resume than it is to have a 60 year hole in your happiness. Yeah. All right. Keep me posted if you can, my friend. All right. And uh, best of luck. Welcome and thank you for calling in. Thank you, everyone, for calling in. Thank you for those who waited for the long show. Thank you to those of you who've made it through to the end. Thank you to my voice, my irradiated voice for holding up. And thanks to Mike, of course, for holding uh, the calls and for running the show. If you find this stuff to be of use and you tell me anywhere else you can find this kind of philosophy, fdrurl.com forward slash donate. Help a brother out. We need better lights in here. (laughs) Thanks, everyone. Have a wonderful week. I'll talk to you Sunday at uh, 10 a.m. Eastern.